We're going to see these principles emerge in the book of Ephesians also because he's not arguing to go attack the enemy. It's the fool that runs out with the sword and starts fighting. That's really his principles. You've got to use intelligence. So what we're going to do here, we're going through Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. And let me just read it to you now. I'm going to read it from my Bible. So finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Let me open up with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, I just uh, lift up this study in your hands. It's been so enriching. I pray that you would help us to know our enemy and know how to defend ourselves in, in, a, in, a, in a world where evil is rampant. I just pray that you'd give us the truth we need and let your Holy Spirit guide us in Jesus' name. I've got, I've got the, um, I'm going to keep this up here for a while because what I'm going to show you, I can't go through every word, but I've highlighted the words that I'm going to really focus on. And I really have a couple of points. Basically, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Satan and what, what he's trying to do. And I want to show you where he's going, what he's going to go after. He's going to go after the heart and soul of the fundamentals of our faith. And that's, I have these, there's six things he's really going to go after. And, and um, what we need to do is we need to develop a sense of um, staying alert, a, a sense of being watchful. We have to be on guard and, and ready to defend. And he's going to attack us. And I'm going to show you how he attacks us. Look at this. Truth, righteousness, peace, peace, faith, salvation, and the word. Those are the six things he's going to attack. And, um, and, and, and uh, these schemes of the devil, we're going to talk a little bit about. We're going to go through first, um, let me go through, I'm just going to go verse by verse and highlight key things. So verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Okay, so I talked a little bit about um, you have to read all of Ephesians to, to come into chapter 6. And the, and the biggest thing, the biggest strength you have is your position in Christ, right? 
He, remember in, in, in Ephesians, Paul spent the first three chapters describing what your life like was in the Lord and in Christ. He said, he said um, you need to realize your spiritual blessings, that you're, that you're chosen, that, that you're holy, that you're blameless, that you're adopted, that you're redeemed, that you're forgiven, that you've attained an inheritance that you're sealed by the Holy Spirit, that you're seated in the heavenlies, that you have access to God, that you're a fellow citizen with the saints. You're in and of God's household. Paul, you're blessed in the heavenlies with all spiritual blessings, and you need to know that to, for, to, to develop full assurance and, and, and strength. It's a security knowing your blessings in Christ, and it's very important. In Christ, you're very powerful, and it's, you, you cannot be defeated. In Christ, you will overcome. Okay? The other thing he says is you've got to become strong. Chapters 4 and 5 is how to become strong in your faith. And he uses the word putting off and putting on Dozens and dozens of times. So, and I'm going to get into that a little more later. But so when he says, "Be strong in the strength of your of, of his his might," he's saying there's a remarkable assistance from God for you to overcome. That the Lord is going to aid us with His mighty power. So you should have no fear. God's there for us, and that. God's power is promised to be displayed in, in your life. That's why he comes right out and says, finally, finally. Now, let's move, move to verse 11, where it talks about the idea of stand. As a matter of fact, in verse 11, 13, and 14, look at, look at this. Put on the whole armor of God that you may, may be able to stand okay, against the schemes of the devil. And then he goes on in 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having done all to stand. So there's this idea of standing. Does that sound like a, a battle maneuver? No. If when I read that, I'm saying, I'm going to attack, 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 attack. I mean, why, why am I going to stand? You don't stand in a battle. You attack, right? You, you skillful attack. You don't stand. So what's this idea of standing? That's the first pursuit. I, I had to figure out what was meant by that, right? And I have some thoughts on it. First of all, by going on the attack, who are you attacking? You're attacking Satan, Going on the attack, you know, that's exactly what he wants you to do. He wants you to attack him and train your, all your prayers towards defeating him. He wins when you do that. Right away, you lose. He wants to draw you in and win. Satan is not the object of our journey. He is only trying to thwart us from our path. By directing your prayers and resources to attacking Satan, you lose focus on the path that God has for you. And this is the very powerful reason why Paul is using the word stand instead of attack, right? The second is the, the very root of this word, histe, 
it, it's, it's a, the verb grammar shows that it's aorist active, it's, and that's past tense. Being in the tense, being in the past tense is something we have to recognize. Standing is something we already have in our relationship to Christ. It's something we have and not something we physically need to do, and I'm going to show you. We only need to be reminded of it. T- turn, and I'm going to show you, Paul, Paul uses this exact word in Colossians 4.12. T- turn there to Colossians 4.12. 4, Colossians 4.12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Okay, in this verse, he stay is the same exact word used in Ephesians. Paul's using these same words, same grammar. It's in the past tense, and he's comparing it between stand and stand mature, fully assured, in all the will of God, carries this emphasis. Standing fully assured and fully mature is, is this idea Paul's trying to get across here. And, and it's really going to be about your mission. What is your mission that you're on? Let's talk about the mission. You're, you're on a journey, and you're going to be attacked. What is the journey... What is your journey and what are you protecting? This is the real underlying story of Ephesians 6. Ephesians 1 through 5 tells you what your mission is and what your journey is. I know I reviewed this last time we talked, but let me just give you a snapshot of what your mission is and what your journey is. It's it's life in Christ, your new life in Christ. And I don't want you to go here. I'm just going to read through Four, chapter 4, takes little snippets. 4.1, walk in a manner worthy of your calling, right? And, and he goes on to say, in humility, gentleness, and patience. What's your mission from high command? That's it. Grow up in all aspects of him, verse 15. No longer children tossed here and there by human cunning, craftiness, and deceit. That's your mission. Walk no longer as the Gentiles walk in sensuality and sexual immorality. You didn't learn Christ this way. Your former manner of life was full of corruption and deceitful desires. Lay aside your old self. Put on your new self. Therefore, laying aside falsehood. That that just summarized chapter 4, right? He's giving you your mission. And that's the mission you're to be on. Right? And that mission, in, in, in your ability to put off and put on, walk in a manner worthy, all suggest this, this motion for your mission. You're to be engaged in a journey of becoming imitators of Christ. How do you do this? You put off your old life and you put on the new life in Christ. More specifically, if you look at verses 4.25... Go to Ephesians 4.25, and I will have you go there. You need to see this. 4.25, 
I'm going to synthesize this. I'm going to read it and then synthesize. I want your mission to be firmly planted in your mind. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Okay? Stop lying and start telling the truth. Lying. Stop. Turn from lying and tell the truth. That's what he's saying. Number in, in verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Turn from uncontrolled anger to use to self-control. For in verses 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work. Turn from stealing to useful labor. 29, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths. Turn from harmful speech to helpful speech. See, this is your mission. Your mission is to be about this, and you're going to get attacked. This is what the enemy is going to attack. In verses 431 through 52, it's turn from bitterness to love. Right? The 5-1, verse 5-1 summarizes it. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for it. So your mission now firmly planted, this is what you're to be about doing. So who doesn't like that? The enemy doesn't like that mission. The enemy wants to take you out. He wants, he's going to come up with all manner of schemes to thwart you from this mission. And um, that's when we go into, you know, basically this is why Paul's telling you to be on a high level of alert, war-like diligence. My next slide, I want to show you this. We're going to go to verse, the schemes of the devil. See this? Schemes of the devil. When I read this, I read it in, the, of course, you know, I'm a Greek buff, so I went straight to the Greek. Here's the phrase here. That's the phrase that we're translating out of the English. And look at what it's saying here. Methodius tau diablos. And the translation of that is methods of diablos. Meth you know, I use methods at work to win, and I, we use a lot of, we go into a lot of details to make sure this, our methods are correct. This guy is using methods to craft against you. He's, he's using all kinds of schemes. This guy has been at his work for how many years? How many years do you think he's experienced? A long time. What's that? Since the garden. Yeah, since the garden. So he, he wants to, you know, you need to know your enemy and know what he's about. And um, I put together a few, you know, I launched into a few names. You know, you, the devil is called a few things in the Bible. So I went on to a rampage to catalog every possible name I could find about him. You need to know him. Look at what he's called. We've all here, he's the serpent, Satan, about accuser. He wants to accuse you. When you fall, he just wants to sit there and accuse you. Beelzebub, God of this age, deceiver, 
adversary, tempter, father of lies, a roaring lion, a dragon, the evil one, the devil, angel of light. These are his names. Know your enemy. Turn, turn, and, and when you get into this idea, it's like, oh, well, I got to go take this guy out, right? That's your natural inclination. But look at, you're, the scriptures aren't teaching us to go after this guy. Look at, turn to Ephesians 4.27. I just read it, a piece of it. I'm going to re- read the second piece. 4, 4.27. Look at the attack strategy here in 4.27. And give no opportunity to the devil. Is that saying throw a spear at him, thrust a sword? No. It's give him no opportunity. He's looking for opportunities, watching Right? Turn, turn, to, turn to 1 Timothy um, 3 7. 1 Timothy 3 7. I'm just tell, tell you a little bit about his taxes. 3 7. 1 Timothy 3 7. More, oh, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. It goes on, we can go on in James 4, 7 also. This is key right here in James 4, 7. He says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. He will Flee. This is really important because you're not to attack. You need to know that he's there and he's going he's gonna to look to snare you, but you don't want to get caught, caught in his track. The devil wants to condemn. He wants to snare. He wants to devour. You're to resist. Give no opportunity. And in 1 John, you're not to practice sinning because these are the things they, he goes after. Next. So it goes on here. For we do not wrestle. Stop right there. Stop right there. The, the Greek word, pale, I think, I think it's only used here. I could not. I did all manner of searches. Can't find it anywhere else. And what, what the, the Greek term, it, it goes back to Roman wrestling. It's a wrestling term. Picture these Roman uh, strained muscles wrestling each other, right? That's a piece of pele. But the, the second definition of pele is to throw a man down by deceit and craft. Throw a man down by deceit and craft. So you've got... So his methods are to figure out what your weakness is, and then he's going to come and wrestle you, but he's going to use deceit and craft. You know, that, that's one of his schemes. That's what pele means, wrestle. You're, and we're, you know, we're wrestling against spiritual forces that are stronger than you. So that's why you don't want to go after him. You want to run to Christ, because Christ will take him out. Stronger... You know, and he has more experience. This is why you're a fool to focus on Satan. 
You must train all your attention to conforming to the life of Christ and not stray from this path. And I, I've made this mistake too. And I, I you know, it's like, I'm going to take you out. I want, I'm going to take you out, Satan. I'm going to pray. Almighty God is going to get the Michael, the angel, and all the Navy SEAL angels. I want you to go after this stronghold and I want you to attack it and I want you to take it out. I want you to disrupt this this household, disrupt this company, disrupt, you know, you can get caught up in that, but you're, it's the wrong prayer, because you, you have no, that's not what Christ is calling you to do. Look at, let's go on to 13 here. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may, may, may be able to withstand in the evil day. This suggests that we're not always under attack. It suggests that there will be a day. Guess what? This gives us the opportunity to train. Train, train, train. You're, you're not under attack. It's time to be training. How do you train? You train with good habits. What's a good habit? I'll tell you what a good habit is. This is the best habit I've ever done. See these two pages here? It's reading through the Bible in a year chronologically. All it has is two columns, the day and the scripture. And you go through every book, every chapter, every verse. This is probably, this is a really good habit to get into because when you know God and you know his ways, you grow stronger and stronger. If anybody wants a copy of it, it's free. It's online. I'll, I'll be glad to send it to you. Get in the habit. Scott and I, and who else is reading through the Bible chronologically? There was others. Jay. Billy, Sylvia, you read into the Bible chronologically? Awesome. I'm on August 7th. <laughs> I'm in August 7th right now because I had to read Isaiah three times. It was so weighty and so good. I camped in Isaiah, then I camped in Jeremiah, then I camped in Ezekiel, and I've just been soaking it all up and burning up my chronologically chronological order, but I'm still on the path, and I'm still using it. Uh, build your life in Christ. Okay, so on your journey of building a life into the conformance of Christ, Paul wants you to be especially alert, remain steadfast, go into regular training to protect six key areas. This is the interesting thing here. The six key areas, you know, a lot of times the, the, the armor of God series, they focus a lot on the armor itself, and that's fine. And, and uh, my angle here is to keep, keep the armor just this light illusion, but w what are you trying to protect? You're trying to protect these six things, truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, word. These are core. When I got into it, I'm going, well, this is, this is core to who we are as as Christians, so what, what, is, what is this about? So let's, let's go, let's talk about the first one here, truth. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Interesting, Satan is the father of lies, right? He plants seeds of falsehood. Paul wants us to defend the truth. 
Hence, the first method of Diablos is to foster all manner of falsehood, deliver a whole array of lies at all costs, and above all, prevent you from seeing, discerning, discovering the truth. The father of lies pummels us with lies, half-truths, truths wrapped in deceit. His demons have strongholds all around our state and our nation, and he uses people to carry out his will. He forces us to sift through the mirage of false accusations, trumped-up charges, threats, and outright attacks. Under heavy artillery attack and shell fire, he deploys all manner of chaff and flares to redirect you from the truth. He glories in discrediting, destroying, and annihilating. That's his mission. Do you know what a presupposition is? I don't use that word very often. Dan knows, but I'm sure Dan could articulate it better than me. But a presupposition is something that you believe is true without having any proof. No hard evidence. You just make the claim. Foster it. Make it your own without any data to support other than hearsay. Yep, you're just guessing. That's right, you're just assuming. Presuppositions. The devil loves to influence you to take actions based on presuppositions. Fake truth. Keep, keep your muddy little brain living and swimming in presuppositions. Fake truth. This is your foe. This is your enemy. This is what he wants you to do. So how do you find the truth? Finding the truth is a skill. It takes work. It takes certain processes. It's generally an uphill battle. Can you recognize it when you see it? It's your job to discover it. One of my favorite movies, you gotta go watch 1957 Black and White, Henry Ford, 12 Angry Men. Have you ever got, any of you seen that, 12 Angry Men? That today is still a great movie. 1957 Black and White, Henry Fonda, 12 Angry Men. You'll see a group of 12 men go through very relevant, um, dialogue to find the truth. Very relevant. Well, there's five ways I'm going to give you to think about the truth and finding it. And the first one is speak it. Speak the truth. We just read it, right? The devil needs something to work with, right? You. Controlling falsehood starts with you. We just read it in 425. Therefore, Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth. Speak it. He loves it when you don't speak it. That's what he can worry. He needs something to work with. First of all, put away falsehood. You don't want that to be you. Starts with a lying tongue. Demons are crouched and waiting to flame a lying tongue. The second thing is practice looking for it. Hebrews 5.14, you don't have to turn there. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Practice looking for the truth. You have to work. Practice discussing it. Come now, let us reason together, 
Isaiah 1.18, says the Lord. Discuss it in your life groups. You have to get engaged. Talk about it. Try to make the, try to make us, you know, try to articulate it in your own words so that it's firmly planted in your mind. Argue for it. T- talk about it. It's, 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 it's an engaging, engaging sport. The fourth thing is prepare yourselves in time of peace. In 1 Peter 1.13, you don't have to turn there, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, in Colossians 4.5, walk in wisdom towards outsider, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may be able that you may know how you ought to answer each person. These are skills that you need to develop. Thought, number five, practice arguing and defending the truth. 1 Peter 3.15, always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. This takes practice. You need to articulate it in words, out of your mouth, You need to understand the ideas and practice this. Okay, let's move on. 14. Standing, therefore. Oh, second part. That was 14b. Righteousness. Check out this. Having put on, having put on. That's past tense. Why do you think that's past tense? Yes. Yes, indusumai. The, the Greek, the root word for those three words is duo, which is put clothes on. And the way it's constructed is in the past tense. You're clothed. You're clothed. What this verse is saying is you're clothed in righteousness. This is really important. I struggle with the word righteousness. It's not a word I use every day. It's kind of ethereal. The word righteousness is an ethereal word for me. But look at this. Righteousness is used extensively in the scriptures. And the, the, one of the key root words in it is dike, which means punishment, penalty, justice. That's the, the root word. It's a legal term. The root of righteousness, diocasinus, is a legal word. Let's, let, let me just kind of walk you through a, a, a journey of how uh, this word used in a few scriptures, and then I'm going to circle back around. Jeremiah 23, 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute just judgment and righteousness in the land. And this is the name by which he will be called The Lord is our righteousness. Jeremiah speaks of a future time when the righteous branch will be reigning as king, and he is reigning right now, and and, um, we will call his name righteousness. I'm going to come back to that one. Look at now, you don't have to turn there, Philippians 3.8. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. 
Paul talks about a righteousness gained in Christ through faith. And again in 1 Corinthians, this is key, 1 Corinthians 1.30, and because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us righteousness. In other words, you are in Christ Jesus who became your righteousness. So the word righteousness, here's what helped me really define what it meant. It means penalty paid. It means penalty paid. If I go back in here, the Lord is our penalty paid. Right? Jesus Christ became our penalty paid. Do you know what that means? Punishment is transferred to Jesus Christ. You're cleared of all your wrongs. The, the penalty for your inherited sins, your past committed sins, the sins you're committing right now with your thoughts towards me, and your future <laughs> sins are absolutely paid for. You can do no wrong in God's sight. Your penalties are paid. Anytime you see that word righteousness, your penalty is paid. That's a strong, the accuser doesn't want you to know that. He wants to take that out. What are ways that he can, the, now the, the illustration, if you're clothed with this from Christ, and it is not something you did, and your sins are paid for, past, present, and future, now does the allusion to a breastplate surrounding you make a lot of sense? It, it does in this case. What are ways that Satan's going to attack righteousness? Doubt. How about self-righteous? How about the Pharisees? Were the, were the Pharisees righteous? They were self-righteous. Very important. This is core to our belief, righteousness. Let's move on. The next one, verse 15, talks about the gospel of peace. I struggled with this one. This one is, this phrase isn't used anywhere else. It, the God of peace, I, I searched high and low. In Logos, uh, the free software Chris told us to get on, you can do gospel, near, you can type in this, this command, gospel, near, peace, and it comes up with every scripture. And then you can say gospel within four words, of, and then gospel within one word. doesn't show up. The gospel of peace. So what, what is it? What is it? What is the gospel of peace? I'm going to, this is Lockham Four's attempt to define it. It's not sanctioned by the church. I'm going to go to, go to Isaiah 53. Let's start there. Isaiah 53. 53.5. Look at this. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross healed us of all of our sins, making a legal payment for each of us. The chastisement ushered in a new era of peace. And now let's go back to Paul. Paul, in Ephesians 2, he talks about peace. Ephesians 2.14, look at this. But now in Christ Jesus, 
You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile, reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So he's talking about a, this wall of hostility that it's broken down between Jew and Gentile. And that we're now one new man, one new man united in Christ, one new age, one new era, an age of peace between Jew and Gentile. We are no longer Jew and Gentile, but instead we are citizens and saints sealed in the heavenlies. I think this was really important at the time of the writing of the gospel because the Jewish tradition was very strong and Gentiles were not looked well upon. And so this peace between the two groups is what this is most likely alluding to as at least one element. First gen so, so how would you attack that? Basically, um, the, the way you disrupt the peace is you'd go back to your Old, Old Testament ceremonies. Go back to... Attempt, tempt somebody to go back to the old face. Live out your old, your um, Old Testament tradition. Demand works. Go to verse sixteen. Sixteen in all circumstances, take up a shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Searching on faith, it occurs 239 times in the New Testament. That's a lot. No, the, only, the best thing I could do is kind of paint a portrait of faith because there's so much written about it. Faith is a holding on, right? 1 Timothy 6.11. Faith is a gift, Ephesians 2.8. Faith guards us, 1 Peter 1.7. Faith will be tested, 1 Peter 1.7. Faith has its final victorious outcome, 1 Peter 1.9. Faith has roots, Colossians 2.6. Faith is a known way of life for many he heroes. Go to Hebrews 11, and the author summarizes all the heroes of faith, almost through a chapter and a half. Faith is the, the faith we have is the same faith that raised Christ from the dead. Faith is a clear conscience, genuineness and sincerity, 2 Timothy 1.5. This is talking about his grandmother that passed on um, her faith to Timothy. Faith is a heritage that we want to pass along to our children. Faith is our core assurance of belief. It's the very substance of our belief and hope today and in the future. It's it's a future hope of the heavenly things. It's an overwhelming assurance of the present reality of our spiritual blessings in Christ. It's an overwhelming assurance of our future reality in living in the richness of his kingdom. The righteous shall live by faith. 
Another point about faith is its direct connection to Jesus Christ. 1 John 5, 4, don't go there. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? He goes on to say, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So Jesus is associated with God right there. How do you attack faith? What's the, what's the opposite of faith? Hopelessness, doubt. Don't believe that. Verse 17, and take up the helmet of salvation. The salvation, this one is really fundamental. I mean, basically, you know, how do you attack this? Well, you're not saved. You're, you're, you know, you're not fooling anybody, right? You were saved, but, you know, your actions now show that you're not saved, Right? Praise be to the Lord that salvation is not dependent on you. God saved you despite yourself. He put his spirit in you and woke you up. He has given you the free gift of salvation. Now you're to work it out, as Peter says. Work out your salvation. Grow in conformance to Christ. The word for salvation, this same word is used five different times, exact morphology, and it all just directly relates to Jesus Christ gifting salvation. Wait, foretelling the salvation, John the Baptist comes and, and says salvation um, is here, and then Simeon, the prophet, look, holds baby Jesus up and says, I see salvation. Now I can die in peace. And then Christ comes and brings the salvation to men. This is, this is this idea that he wants you to be aware of. The helmet of salvation is yours. And let me, the second part of that is the word of God. I call it, okay, verse 17b, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So what is this talking about? I think what's really great is there's a perfect example of this being played out. I don't even have to define this one. It's already played out, and it's played out by, by Jesus Christ himself in Matthew 4, verse 1. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is so powerful, what he just did in this passage. I'm going to summarize what he just did. The Israelites wandered for 40 years 
and couldn't get this lesson. They couldn't get it, right? The very thing that God, God rained down manna, he provided their food, he provided for their clothing, clothing. he took them out of Egypt, miraculous cosmic displays everywhere. God took care of them 100% year after year after year with visible displays of command over nature, parting of the Red Sea, right? God cared for this people, and he, God wanted them to get this one thing that he, that instead of grumbling and complaining and wanting to go back to their idols in Egypt, all they had to do was bow their knee and pray and ask for God for provisions, and they would give it to him. And God was testing their faith, and they couldn't get it. Jesus nails it. He takes the lesson learned. In his 40 days in the wilderness, he takes the 40 years of trying to educate these Israelites. He already knows the exact application of what God was trying to tell him. Satan comes to him, tempts him, and he uses the word of God. He gets it to display it. There, there's the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God in direct display. Doesn't get any better than that. Know the word. It helps. Let's wrap this up. Verse, verse 18. Keep alert with all perseverance, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance. Make supplications for the saints. The highest call we have God wants our prayers. I, I love it in, on Psalm 145. Every day I will bless and praise the Lord forever and ever. It is, that's what he wants, your prayer. Let's, let's wrap this up. So, so, okay, key theme, know your enemy, being watchful, understand his tactics, understand where he's going to go. He's going to go after our core beliefs and try to shake it. And you, Christ has done so much for you already. Paul is just telling, he's trying to remind you of the things you already have in Christ. You already have this, so don't let, just resist the temptation. Resist and repel. Give no opportunity to the devil. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just lift up these words into your hands. And Lord, we, we know that to defeat the enterprise of Satan, we just have to be living a life conforming to you. We defeat the enterprise of Satan when we, when we engage in the conformance of the life of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would keep us on our path. Keep us on a path where we would become imitators of you and put off and put on. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.